Episode 9, Demystifying the GPO, with Mike Motto. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. This podcast is sponsored by Franklin HealthCom. I'm speaking today with Mike Motto, who up until very recently worked for a group purchasing organization or GPO. Welcome to the podcast, Mike. Thanks, Stacey. I appreciate being here with you today. I have to say that I am really excited to have you here today because I don't know what it is or what's in the water, but GPOs and LTC have come up and I can't tell you how many conversations I've had over the past couple of weeks. I'm glad to hear that. Well, since you're an expert in both, I am I'm really looking into to digging into this. Excellent. So why don't we talk about you for a sec? You know, your last role was working at a GPO. What what'd you do there? Whoa, I did a, there was a number of responsibilities. My title was Senior Vice President of Trade Relations. And uh, as it relates to the GPO model, there's really two sides to the business. There's the member side, which is typically the pharmacies and the hospitals that take advantage of the group purchasing organization services. And then the trade relations side is really responsible for all of the interactions with business partners. We, we did not call them vendors. We called them business partners because without them, we don't have a business. So the team that I led for uh, almost three years was really focused on business partner development contract management, clinical services reported up through the function, data analytics, marketing services, and a growing group that was called Specialty Pharmacy Solutions. So think of everything that really creates that value proposition for the business partner to engage with us. That's what my, my team and I were responsible for. Maybe we should go back to the very, very beginning, just in case somebody doesn't know what a GPO is. Many people don't, and I think many people have misconceptions exactly in terms of what, what a GPO does. But in the most simplistic form, Stacy, a group purchasing organization is an entity that's really created to leverage the purchasing power of a group of businesses or individuals to obtain discounts from business partners that are based on a collective buying power of the GPO members. Very, very simple model when you describe it in such a way. So uh, instead of one member, a pharmacy, going to a manufacturer to get a price, a GPO has many members and represents that aggregate membership to get better pricing and better terms. And that's really the, the basis of a GPO, regardless of whether it's in the healthcare industry and in the electronics industry, agricultural or grocery, that's the, that's the, that is the key underpinning of, of how a GPO works. In the healthcare industry, now you said there's kind of two sides to the equation. There's the member side and then the business partner side. Who are that's typical right. members? You know, so who, who would typically take advantage of, who would want to be in a group so that their buying power is increased? I think the best way to do that is kind of break it out by acute versus post-acute or alternate site. On the acute side, uh, the member is typically the hospital or the integrated delivery network. And those entities in the GPO space are the premiers and the novations and the marinettes of this world. And they really are 
one-stop shopping for almost everything that a hospital, a hospital system, or an integrated delivery network would need. That being said, uh, the vast majority of those hospital purchases, be they as mundane as fixtures and carpeting or as sophisticated as infusion pumps and biotech products, the majority are, are purchased through a GPO. Uh, there's typically a primary GPO, and most entities in the acute space have a secondary GPO just as a backup. In the post-acute space, which is also known in the marketplace as the alternate site space, as the term states, it's post-acute. It's uh, centers like long-term care, specialty pharmacy, home infusion, home medical equipment, durable medical equipment pr providers, all of these people that are delivering health care outside of the brick and mortar of the hospital. And obviously there has been a lot of focus on the post-acute world uh, with accountable care organizations because in many cases the delivery of care can be most effective in these post-acute settings. And in that world, uh, the major players are Managed Healthcare Associates, GeriMed, and Innovatix, which is a premier company. All right. So say I am a hospital or a you know, long-term care, I guess, you know, just pretty much any member. And I need a, you know, I need to buy some carpet. What, right. What, what, do I, what do I do? You know, is there a website or like how does that work? Typically, you would be a member of a GPO, and we'll kind of take that, that example out on, on the post-acute side. And let's just say that you're moving into the long-term care pharmacy space, and you've bought space in an industrial park because these pharmacies, you would never know they exist. They don't exist on corners like a Walgreens or a CVS. They typically exist in space in industrial parks. Once you get your pharmacy license and begin doing your hiring, think of that empty building and all the needs that you have. Now, obviously, you have to have pharmaceutical products, but you have to have equipment to dispense those products. You have to have specialized fixtures. You need paint. You need carpeting. You need office supplies. The list goes on and on. The reality is GPOs can provide 90% or more of what you need to become a full-fledged operating closed-door pharmacy in a setting like that. So the efficiency of having one-stop shopping and not having to negotiate with Office Max or a Staples or a specialized pharmacy fixture company is immense. They know that if they're a member of a GPO, that that GPO has those products and those manufacturers that they need to engage with under contract. There's typically website services. In most cases, GPOs have account management teams that call on the members and go into great detail to describe the breadth and depth of the offerings at both the manufacturer and the product level and the pricing, which includes, in some cases, obviously, off-invoice discount pricing. But in addition to that, there can be rebates based on volume buys of specific products that are used on a routine basis. So that's really the value proposition regarding the GPO. Everything that I could possibly need, I can typically get through my GPO. Now, all right. So I'm I'm kind of getting a whole new respect for you, Mike, because you <laughs> because you worked on the business partner side. So were were you the guy that went into the 
business partners and shook them down for price? Well, this is how it, it, how it works. It's interesting having been on both sides of that desk. As, as you know, in my background, I led large account management teams uh, in the pharmaceutical industry. In my responsibilities on the GPO side, the pharmaceutical industry account managers were calling on me and my team to identify opportunities and negotiate GPO contracts. So, and it's just uh, it's just being on the other side, seeing what the needs are from the manufacturer perspective, having the insights to what those needs are, but also knowing what the GPO can deliver and can't deliver, and being very realistic in terms of that value offering for for our business partners. So you you must have been a very tough negotiator, knowing kind of both sides of the track, so to speak. All right. So pharmaceutical account manager comes in to, to the GPO and says, here we are. We're ready to negotiate. We're ready to you know give you rebates or, or whatever you want. But I, I would think if I was a pharmaceutical manufacturer or really anybody who was trying to peddle my product to your vast member population, that what I would want you to help me with is expanding my reach. I would want you to to sort of help me to get my product into more members, pharmacies or hospitals or whatever my specialty is. How, How can a GPO do that? That's a great question. And I and in many cases there are existing relationships that go back many years between the GPO and the manufacturers, but there's equally new relationships with new products, particularly on the medical products and services side, and also new products from established business partners that come to market. And what typically happens in the pharmaceutical experience is the brand team sits down with the account management team and really uh, begins putting together the strategy. That strategy may or may not include the engagement of a GPO at launch. So we found in our experiences, we had manufacturer business partners who would come to us before every launch and more than likely based on their philosophy in contracting with GPOs, we would secure that contract in advance of the launch or very close to the launch. We had other manufacturers who would approach us with products that had already been in the marketplace, but for whatever reason, they had only focused on the physician office and hospital selling and really never focused on the alternate site. And as the product moved down the life cycle, they began looking for new opportunities, new niches, places that they hadn't been or places where their competition hadn't been. And part of the value of engaging with the GPO is the the GPO typically knows those segments very well, whether it's hospital or alternate site. They know the settings. They know exactly what their constituents are looking for. And they can be very instructive in engaging with business partners to help them create strategy and help them message that particular segment appropriately. Stacy, one of the best examples is the pharmaceutical in the pharmaceutical industry, you know, and you've been there a very long time and you've been part of the messaging. There's many manufacturers that just want to kind of take the materials that are used in the promotion to physicians and kind of repurpose them in a very mild way and think they're going to work in all these other segments. But the reality is they typically do not. The language that's being used in a long-term care setting or a specialty pharmacy setting or settings with home infusion providers is very different. 
and it's the GPO that can help them understand the setting, understand the needs, and understand some of the key language and value propositions that need to be very strongly conveyed for them to be successful in these new channels that they're moving into. So one aspect that a GPO could help a manufacturer, pharmaceutical or otherwise with, would be to help them deliver a compelling message, you know, sit down. So your account executives would actually sit down with somebody on the business partner side and craft or, or give them pointers or, or customer insights so that the marketing people on the, the business partner side could, could craft a compelling message. Is that kind of how it worked? That's a piece of it. I think there's, there's a couple different scenarios that play out and not all GPOs handle that messaging piece the same way. In my experiences, the manufacturer with some strategic direction from the GPO would create PDFs with specific messaging. The GPO would then uh, direct those through a listserv out to specific constituents within the membership community that the message was targeted for. That's one piece of it. The GPO's account management teams generally, given the fact that they are not trained like medical device and pharmaceutical representatives, they're, they're trained to present opportunities around the contract. Now, certainly they do know therapeutic categories, they know manufacturers, they know the needs of the member, but they're not going to go into a great deal of detail as it relates to the clinical aspects of the product. What they will typically do, if there's uh, questions like that being asked, they would bring in the manufacturer representative to the member site and facilitate that discussion rather than have the discussion. They're much more comfortable really discussing the terms of the contract, the opportunity, and providing links to resources that the manufacturer has provided the GPO that support the product and support patients and support providers. Okay, so one advantage to the business partners would be help with messaging. Another one would be a new channel. In other words, the GPO's list serve. The GPO can actually push out the manufacturer messages. And it sounds like a third one is that it's it's kind of an ex- extra sales support. You know, as you said, it's sort of operational sales support, but nonetheless, there there is the possibility that a brand might get exposure it wouldn't normally get with the the GPO salespeople. Is that true? That's correct. And I mean, there's so many different scenarios out there in terms of commercial investment and and dedicated representatives. At the GPO level, we've worked with manufacturers that have a large number of dedicated representatives or account managers in the space. And we've also worked with manufacturers that really don't have dedicated resources and look to us through messaging and through consultative services to do what we can to get their message out that they typically would not be able to broadcast in an efficient way. So that's the situation that uh, those are a couple of the situations that that are fairly common. One of the things that I've been hearing lately is that the the value proposition of, of these group purchasing organizations as a whole is, is being questioned. Could you talk about why and how? No, I think it's a great question, and I think it's very timely. And I think there's, given the evolution of the marketplace today and, and the focus on the bottom line and the deep discounts that are going into not only commercial but obviously government 
Medicaid, Medicare, Medicare Part D. Uh, there's a lot of scrutiny as it relates to discounts uh, and revenue deductions, and I, I, I clearly understand that level of scrutiny. I think the GPOs are, are, are in a good position. I think the GPOs could probably do a better job describing all of the services that they can provide regardless of whether you have dedicated resources or don't have dedicated resources in a specific channel, whether it's acute or post-acute. Some of the things that, ha- that I think are particularly innovative in the GPO space are reimbursement networks. The GPO that I worked for back in 2006 launched a, a long-term care network that negotiated Part D pricing with the PDPs on the behalf of the aggregated membership. If that hadn't have happened, more than likely, those members would have been focused in a world that would have been retail reimbursement, which is very different based on the level of intensity, particularly in long-term care at the long-term care facility level and the level of service that they provide 24-7. And and many, many GPOs followed in that long-term care network reimbursement negotiation space. Most recently, a few GPOs, both on the acute side and on the non-acute, post-acute, if you will, side, have begun creating ACO networks. And they've asked that their members join those networks so that there can be a cohesive face and so that the ACOs can understand the total value proposition of all of these independent hospital and long-term care and alternate site providers in the marketplace. And as I stated earlier, uh, particularly on the alternate site space, which I'm most familiar with, these people have, these providers have been delivering cost-effective health care for years. But what we found is uh, many of the ACO leaders really didn't have a good understanding of what a long-term care pharmacy provider does or what a specialty pharmacy provider does or what a home infusion provider does. And by creating these networks and creating a a singular voice and resources for members so that they can engage in their local MSAs and meaningful discussions with the ACO leadership, we believe that that was a great service. And certainly that's only beginning to develop. These things have developed in the past seven months. Much more to follow in that space. But it's those types of things. I think you touched on automated ordering tools and the efficiency of ordering. Touched briefly on clinical support. All GPOs have clinical support teams, and these teams are very astute. They not only know the products, but they know the channel very well. Many of them were hospital pharmacists, long-term care pharmacists, home infusion pharmacists in their previous lives. So they have unique insights that can help medical products and services manufacturers and pharmaceutical manufacturers craft messages and also disseminate supportive clinical information. Data collection and analysis is very critical. If you can imagine the aggregated membership and all the data that a GPO collects, not only as it relates to drug utilization, but in some cases, clinical markers, is very valuable. And that goes back to the membership, and it can also be useful to the manufacturer from a contractual basis if they're looking to better understand the patient journey and they're looking for specific clinical markers to better understand what's going on in the marketplace, particularly at launch. So I think data collection and and analysis is very important. This certainly runs into rehospitalization and the linkage between 
post-acute and acute and coordination in that. I think GPOs are beginning to play a very meaningful role. And we really can't forget that GPOs on the policy and advocacy front are very active in Washington and at the state levels, representing the interests of their constituents, which I think is, a, in, in this day and age, is a very valuable service that many people probably aren't aware of that GPOs are engaged in and invest in greatly with meaningful resources. So this whole host of services beyond just negotiating contracts and securing beneficial pricing and rebate opportunities, I think needs to be described and needs to be communicated a lot better so people can really understand how GPOs can can create value from a manufacturing perspective. So that makes a ton of sense. All right. So I'm going to amend that list I said earlier because I only had three things on it at the time and now I'm up to seven. The um, the seven things that a GPO can help membership with is, uh, well, a manufacturer with is, like we talked about, messaging, new distribution channel, the listserv. Also, there's GPO account managers who, from an operational standpoint, might give the brand additional exposure. Then we have automated ordering. So if it's easy for customers or members to place orders, then obviously that helps a brand. Five, we got clinical support. So, and I'm assuming that is to help members understand um, the products and to use them well. Six, we have data collection management and analysis. And then seven, we have lobbying in Washington. That's correct. And um, I think all of those things together, Stacy, really speak to the fact that a GPO can really be a market facilitator. What I'd like to do also is discuss that whole contracting scenario, because what we find is, uh, particularly when managed markets teams from pharmaceutical companies approach us, if they have been in the PBM and healthcare space at some point in their career, their understanding of GPOs may be a little bit cloudy. GPOs typically don't prefer products, don't create formularies, don't create preferred situations of one product over another. The philosophy is generally to contract as many meaningful products by category and leave the clinical decision up to the provider, whether that be in a hospital setting, whether that be in a long-term care specialty or home infusion setting. So if account managers come in with the mindset that I'm going to, through contracting, secure a advantaged formulary position and I'm going to be one of two or hold a sole position and that's the only product in a category, let's just say diabetes or hypertension or whatever, clearly not the case. But what I can say is those manufacturers that engage across the spectrum of services that we've described and talked about here today really have the best opportunity to grow their business appropriately with appropriate patients through the GPO. And as a GPO leader, we always encourage them to take advantage of the services, but it was amazing to us how many manufacturers never took full engagement or never fully engaged to take full advantage of, of what the GPO had to offer. I'm just a, a little bit confused relative to what exactly those those services are. Do you, do you mean things like, you know, they didn't put their product in an automated ordering system or is there something more, more specific? Well, I think the, auto, uh, the automated ordering system 
situation is probably more relevant on the hospital side, but there are, you know, in my experience, there were manufacturers who would negotiate a contract and visit us twice a year and not engage their, not connect their clinical team with our clinical team, not take advantage of us helping them with appropriate messaging to the channel, not taking advantage of some of the data services that we could provide. So we we saw, you know, when we began brainstorming around this stuff, and I think some of it is philosophical. I think there's manufacturers that just say, negotiate the contract, let's see what, what happens. Obviously, it's it's much more productive to be proactive and take advantage of all those services to, so that the let's see what happens thing becomes a, a much more efficient and effective discussion moving forward. Relative to the clinical support that you were talking about that a GPO can offer, and I know that, you know, as you said, there, there's no negotiating a preferred position, for example, but if a manufacturer is the best practice according to some industry association for a certain kind of patient, you had mentioned before finding appropriate patients, can the clinical team at the GPO be relied upon or, or worked with in some way to help members find those appropriate patients? Like, is that on the table or not? You know, I can only speak from my experience, and I and I, I will say that interpretation and resources and capabilities can vary from a uh, from GPO to GPO. But typically, the clinical team would not get involved in the strictest sense in patient identification. They would certainly be very astute in terms of appropriate patient profile, needs of specific patient populations in specific settings be they hospital, long-term care, home infusion specialty, that's what they do. But in terms of helping identify patients beyond that at the, at the patient level, that would not happen. So they might be able to say, all right, hospital or okay, long-term care, This, these are the characteristics of an appropriate patient for this particular product and, and then help the hospital maybe figure out what the markers are or whatever. But it would need to be kind of hospital driven. They're not going to march into a hospital and say, or a long-term care setting and go, all right, today what we're really focused on is making sure that you're appropriately treating X kind of patient. It's not that proactive. That's correct. And I think it gets back to data collection and analysis also, Stacy, because analogs over the years by therapeutic category have been identified. And with access to that data, particularly in a pre-launch situation, GPOs can be very helpful in helping the business partner understand the current state and identifying the appropriate analogs in these channels, which can be very different than in the physician office space or or in the pure hospital space. So I think it's data, data becomes information and information can be very instructive to creating strategy and really and really identifying the appropriate patient type. Let me ask you a question cuz in one of the earlier interviews, up actually episode 1, I spoke with Robert Herzog from a company named eCaring. And his product is a, a really interesting iPad app that helps home healthcare workers care for for, for patients, um, trying to keep them out of long-term care facilities as long as possible. So, could a, a product like that, you know, a technology product like that, could they become a business partner of a GPO and use the GPO's distribution channel? Absolutely. And I'm really glad that you brought that up because one of the areas that 
my team and I were very excited about was this, this, this whole notion of enabling technology. And as you know, whether it's telephonic, whether it's uh, remote dispensing kinds of situations, there's a lot of very, very interesting technology that's either out there or emerging very quickly that can impact patient outcomes and also facilitate very, very uh, good care and very good data in the post-acute world. And in my experience, uh, we engaged with a number of technology partners to better understand from, from their case, from their position in the marketplace. They wanted to understand exactly what these channels that we represented were like, how they're different than what they would consider to be the traditional channels. And we were very interested in seeing if what if the translation of that technology would really work in the channels that we represented, whether it's long-term care, home infusion, specialty, so forth and so on. So we saw all kinds of interesting things. We've seen remote dispensing mechanisms where a long-term care pharmacy can fill the unit with a month's worth of medication, multiple medications, and wirelessly really monitor compliance and uh, send messaging as it relates to any any PRN needs and medications. Uh, just fascinating stuff that could sit on the bedside table of a, of a patient at home and uh, there's a very, I mean, in parallel to that, there's a strong movement for people to remain at home as long as they possibly can. And we called it long-term care at home. And it's cost-effective to do so. And some of this technology will enable that movement to, to accelerate. And I, I think that's a, that's a very exciting development. Let me circle back to something that you had just kind of touched on earlier, which I thought was really interesting, and that's the ACO networks. You had you had mentioned that as ACOs rise up, they need, for example, the services of a long-term care pharmacist who might be in the area, but it's hard for ACO leadership to know what resources might be available in, in a local market. So is what you're saying that the the it almost sounded like the members are are also becoming business partners. Let me just recast that a little bit, and I, th I think you're off you're on to something really good here. In the post-acute world, which I'm most familiar with, these ACO networks that the GPOs are forming, they're forming those to be a voice for all post-acute providers and making sure that the value proposition of those post-acute providers is heard by the ACOs. Where this comes to life, and there's a number of places, but of recent, is rehospitalization. So if you can think of a scenario in an ACO world where the hospital is very much at financial risk if they're not handling that discharge scenario very well and doing all the right things in terms of patient uh, education and monitoring, many of those patients are not discharged to their home. They're discharged to a rehab bed in a skilled nursing facility. And if there is not strong communication and aligned incentives between the hospital and the long-term care setting with performance metrics, that rehospitalization rate could be an issue. It could be an issue. It may not be exactly what they want it to be. It can be so much better when the hospital is fully coordinated in their MSA with all of the alternate site sites 
if you will, where that patient may be discharged to. It may be home, and if it's home, maybe there's some enabling technology out there. If it's a skilled nursing facility, whether it's a long-term care bed or a rehab bed, coordination with that facility and the providers in that facility is absolutely critical. So that's just one example where uh, in, in today's world and with accountable care and all, all of the performance metrics upon discharge where this network and acknowledgement of the value of this whole cast of characters outside the walls of a, the brick and mortar of a hospital can be key contributors to success for the patient as it relates to favorable outcomes. I guess I'm just losing track of what does the GPO do exactly like, like I totally understand and it makes a lot of sense that an ACO would be want to be very careful about who or where a patient was discharged to. But what what does the GPO facilitate? Like do they have ratings or something of of the the discharge opportunities in the area or or how does that work? Right now in my world or in the world that I was in, it was it was mainly focused on policy, advocacy, and education. We had a number of members who approached us wanting to understand accountable care organizations, wanting to dialogue with these organizations that had emerged in their MSAs, but not having appropriate talking points or really understanding the, the foundational aspects and the performance metrics and the expectations of an ACO. The GPO was in a position to educate them and provide resources that educates them and keeps them updated as it relates to a number of evolutionary events in the ACO space, provide them with relevant talking points so that if they wish to engage those leaders in their marketplaces, they would have confidence in doing so in presenting their value proposition and their competencies and experiences, and in many cases, how they've uniquely treated disease states and, and impacted favorable outcomes. And, and, and if they weren't willing to do that on their own, the GPO, through other avenues, can really be the voice of the post-acute world and kind of rise that, raise that up through policy and advocacy efforts and lobbying efforts to make sure that they're not forgotten in the equation, in this total value equation. So that's kind of, you think of the first evolution, it's really about educating, educating uh, the membership as it relates to what it is and how they can create value and how what they've done in the past certainly can be very relevant to the evolving world of the future. So basically kind of what you're doing is banding together a bunch of players with, I don't want to say hidden roles, but but maybe I do. You know, as you said before, there's long-term care pharmacists or wholesale pharmacists that are pretty much hidden in, in office parks. And, and maybe ACO leadership is not aware of all these cogs in the in the wheel. And I think that's the case. And it's it's really, it's not pointing in anything disparaging towards the ACO leaders, but they're putting together physician networks. They're getting their incentives aligned within their integrated delivery networks. They have a huge task ahead of them. And at the same time, they're, they're positioning themselves through, through systems and data to be able to take on risk that they hadn't taken on before. So I do, certainly don't want to belittle what they need to do to them at this point, to many of them at this point in time, some of this stuff is still ancillary and it's really not in the, the primary view 
so the goal is we have an understanding and a sensitivity to what's going on in the marketplace and all the heavy lifting that these ACLs have to do, but at the same time, make sure that there is a voice or collect either singular voices or collective voices on the behalf of the GPO representing that so that at least a top-line value proposition related to these home infusion, long-term care, specialty pharmacy providers, long-term care nursing, nursing homes, skilled nursing facilities, and all the good work that they do in those facilities in managing that very difficult patient population. So that that's of higher, higher interest and higher profile moving forward. And that's, that's really the, the goal of all of this. And uh, this, there's, there are several GPOs that have engaged in this, in this type of strategy. And uh, certainly it's in its infancy, but I think getting in early makes an awful lot of sense and, and helping, helping the members to be that voice until the market becomes more clear is also, I think, a very good idea. As we think about GPOs, and knowing that there's a lot of entrepreneurs and very creative people that are that that listen to this podcast, is there any gaps in in GPO services right now, or or things that GPOs, you know, that might be a little bit broken, for example, that could be an opportunity for a forward-thinking entrepreneur? I think history would would say that, and I think it, it kind of comes back to the strength of the GPO over many, many years. GPOs have been have have, have held a, a very meaningful place in the healthcare continuum. And I think that will continue. But I think GPOs will need to innovate quicker. And I think they're going to need to, as we discussed earlier, provide differentiated value in a quickly evolving market. And I think we've talked about some of those value pieces, whether it's engaging and contracting with business partners who are delivering meaningful enabling technology, whether it's looking at data collection and analysis in a very unique way, either from a manufacturer's perspective or from the member's perspective to help them better manage the patient. I think it's it's a very, very exciting time. I, I really do. I, and I, I think people are a little tentative as it relates because of the unknown. And it's it's almost like a perfect storm right now. There's cost pressures going on. There's, there's shifting in, in risk going on through ACOs. There's patient out-of-pockets getting greater. There's this whole uh, movement around patient education. And it's a very different patient education and patient knowledge than it was 10, 15, 20 years ago. Patients, as more money is coming out of their pocket, they want to be very engaged and their caregivers want to be very engaged in their therapies and the decisions and the financial and clinical ramifications of those decisions. I think that dynamic is exciting and I think it offers opportunity. Now, it could be viewed as daunting and it's evolving quickly and there's a lot of unknown and there's a lot of conjecture in the marketplace. But ACOs or the tenants of the ACOs are here to stay. Everything might not be worked out. Not everybody has jumped in yet. Those that have jumped in have, in some cases, have just focused on upside risk. There will be upside and downside, but it's evolutionary. And and I think it's, as I say, it's, it's, it's very exciting from where, wherever you're sitting in that healthcare continuum to think through a number of scenarios where expertise you may have could be adopted and adapted in a new and innovative way. 
That's uh, sage advice. If someone might be looking to become a business partner of a, a GPO, for example, if that's part of, of someone's a business strategy that someone is considering, would they just simply call up the business trade contact us phone number on, on, a, on a website of the GPO? Or, or is there a more stealthy route that someone can follow to figure out if, if a GPO strategy is right for them? It's, it's relatively transparent. And in most GPOs, there is a trade relations function, either called trade relations or something very similar, that is there to work directly with the business partners. And I, I know that those entities within those GPOs are very open to exploratory discussions. And based on the my experiences and the group that I led, there is great value in engaging with those people. And many of the people in, in those roles have been in those roles many years and have been solely focused on those channels. So I would encourage people who are looking at strategies and looking at moving into new channels to utilize them as resources. And those GPO leaders are, are happy to do that. And once again, it's not only, you know, the commercial side of it, it's it's also on the, on the clinical side. The clinical folks in, in, the, in the GPO world are, are very astute. And once again, many of them come from those settings. They've lived in those settings as pharmacists and nurses. Firsthand, they know exactly what that experience is like from a provider and a patient point of view. And I think that can be very valuable. Let's face it, many manufacturers spend a lot of money with consultants. In an exploratory way, GPOs can be of great value to at least helping them either validate a hunch they may have or further elucidate a direction that they can take that they may not ever have considered had they not had that discussion. What's next for you? What, what, what are you up to these days? You know, I'm, I'm doing some project work uh, from a consulting basis that I'm very excited about. I'm also looking at manufacturers. I think there's a number of small manufacturers or smaller manufacturers, both on the diagnostic and medical products and also on the pharmaceutical side, that are coming into the marketplace with very interesting technologies. I think, I think we all know that the, the day, particularly in pharma, of the uh, general meds blockbuster with thousands of representatives on the street is is kind of gone gone the way of the dinosaur unfortunately for some but at the same time what we're seeing is pharma getting very focused in and I don't mean to only focus on pharma but certainly that space that I know quite well getting very focused on orphan drug status. We're seeing more orphan drug filings than we've ever seen in the history of the FDA, uh, which is exciting, addressing unmet patient needs. There's hundreds and thousands of patients that have been suffering for many years. And now there's companies that are taking more time to look at that. Very excited on the biotech side, uh, what's going on. On the specialty pharmacy side, providing enhanced services around the delivery of these wonderful large molecules to ensure that they're used appropriately and patients are supported in a very meaningful high touch way so that they can extract the, the greatest value out of the out of the investment in these drugs and see the best possible outcome. These are all things that excite me and I think there's a lot of innovative manufacturers that are looking for for help and insights as they're kind of emerging into a world where these products are are 
could be very well positioned. And at the same time, we know from a payer perspective that the payers, and we've seen so many examples of late where payers are taking a very, very strong position with new entities that are coming to market with very large, and from their view, very large price tags. We need to make sure that manufacturers are rewarded for innovation. And we, make, we have to make sure as partners to our business partners, if you will, that the value proposition is expressed in the very best way, whether speaking to a payer, a provider, a patient who has high out-of-pocket costs and is wondering if, in fact, I should continue on this therapy, if I'm spending a couple hundred dollars a month to be on this therapy. So I think all of these areas are ripe for vast engagement and, and vast improvement in terms of how we communicate and the resources that we bring to bear to the marketplace as described the way I just did. And I will put your information, Mike, your contact information on the RelentlessHealthValue.com website so that if anyone listening needs the expertise which Mike has, they can find you. I appreciate that. It's it's really been a pleasure speaking with you this evening, Stacy. Well, it has very much been a pleasure, as always, speaking with you, Mike. And if there's anything else I can do to support your efforts, I think what you're doing in this venue is very innovative in its own right. And I think multiple voices and different perspectives can be very helpful in a quickly evolving marketplace so that we make sure that all stakeholders' needs are addressed and all technologies, be they scientific technologies or pharmaceutical technologies or medical products and services technologies, are well known. I like to think so. (laughs) Very good. Very good. (laughs) Wow, I learned a lot. It's always interesting to speak with my friend, Mike Motto, probably one of the most well-rounded guys I have had the pleasure of knowing. Since I, I, I actually met Mike about 10 years ago, he was my customer over at a pharmaceutical manufacturer, and we built a big website for him. Then he was on the agency side for a while before going to work at one of the big GPOs. I hope you enjoyed the, this episode as much as, as I did. If you wouldn't mind heading over to iTunes and giving us a a rating and a review, that I would very much appreciate. Also, if you have any questions or you want to interact with with me or the show, we are at Relentless Health on Twitter, at Relentless Health, with only one S, though. So Relentless with one S, Health. So definitely leave any questions, comments that you, you, you might have there. And I hope you'll tune in next week.